Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Growing up in the, growing up in central Mississippi, the great state of Mississippi, I was taught that there are two teams that you pull for when it comes to baseball and football. So it's kind of ingrained in me. Now, when in Rome, do as the Romans. So I've been in Tampa, St. Pete, for the last eight and a half years. So I kind of pulled for the Rays for a season and the Bucks for a season. But I never left these two teams. One was the Braves, where I grew up. You always pull for the Atlanta Braves, whether you wanted to or not. I'm glad. I liked the Braves. Back in those days, they didn't always win, but you still pulled for them. Same with the Saints, New Orleans Saints. I loved pulling for the New Orleans Saints. I, uh, I especially started pulling for them when poor Archie Manning went there and spent a lot of years. When I say that, you may see Archie Manning today and feel like he's a little feeble. Well, it's probably because back in the day, back when some of the fans wore a, a bag over their head, uh, it, it was because and cut holes in it to see because they didn't do very good. And poor old Archie, you know, he went from being a Heisman candidate at Ole Miss doing well just to getting beat up pretty bad. But he was tough. He was tough. Just, uh, I, I still remain a, a Archie Manning fan and a Saints fan. As a matter of fact, Several years ago, I was reminded of this recently, I was visiting with my son-in-law who lives on the coast of Mississippi, and he had this nice New Orleans Saints hat, and so I needed a hat. You know, some guys, we wake up in the morning, we're not quite ready to do our hair, you know, and put our dip do on, 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 you know, style our hair. So I needed a hat, didn't have a hat, so I saw that nice-looking New Orleans Saints hat, and, uh, and I put it on. I asked him if I, I could use it. And later on, I just went ahead and took it home. I've got it at my home. And he reminded me that I actually gave him that hat. And so I feel like it's rightfully mine now because, I mean, I paid for it. And, uh, and I've got it in my possession. So I'm, I'm working with him on that. He doesn't agree with me. But I, I think I'm willing to make a trade because a number of years ago, I gave him an Archie Manning poster that I've had for years. Archie Manning, when he played for the Saints and had the cool little bars on his helmet, I had that for years. And I decided to be a good father-in-law and give that to Logan and his dad, who also pulled for the Saints. And so I think what I'm going to do, I figured this out, I'm going to trade him his hat, which is really mine, for my poster that he has in his possession now, and I'll give his hat back. Y'all don't, that sounds fair to me. I don't know about y'all, but... You can tell me, tell me later. Kelly's saying, no, that's not fair. So. so if you pull for the saints, then you are very familiar with this phrase, who dat. Now, if you Google who dat, get ready to read a while. There's a history behind who dat nation and why they say who dat and the fact that other, people say, other teams say who dat, but... Who dat was with the New Orleans Saints primarily. It came from some others before that and has evolved to some other teams after that. And I, I want you to know, though, today we're going to look at the Who Dat Nation that was long before 
the history of who dat with the saints and the other team before that if you Google that. So if you haven't already turned to Nehemiah chapter 3, the title of the message is who dat, meaning the saints of old in Nehemiah. Who were those men, women, children that were a part of rebuilding the protective walls of Jerusalem, that were a part of God's wonderful work? Who dat? Who, who, who were those individuals? Now, if you've been with us in our journey through Nehemiah that we're on, and we'll continue leading up to summer, then you know the chapter 1, we dealt with the fact that God opened Nehemiah's eyes to do a new work, a kingdom work, a courageous work. And if you were with us last week, as we looked at chapter 2, you saw how courageous he was. He went before his boss and by faith made a request, asked his boss to support him, and he did. And so now... We're at who dat. In other words, he didn't do this on his own. We talked a little bit about that last week. When God gives us a direction, a vision as a leader in the home, in the church, in the workplace, among your friends, he expects us to not do it just by ourselves, but certainly to continue to include God in that vision, in that direction, in that leadership. But also, it's not about us. It's involving other people so they can be a part of God's work. So they can also give glory to God because everybody has a fingerprint as a child of God for a purpose and a mission. We're not just to sit and soak. We're supposed to be a part of God's work, and we only have so much time, and we never know when we'll go to our heavenly home. We just don't know. So we need to be about the business of following God's will. So let's see who we are by looking at who they were. Now, in chapter 3, verse 1, this is what it says in the NIV version. Eliashab, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Remember that. They dedicated it and set its doors in place building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of the Hanel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Amri, built them, built next to them. Verse 6, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasaniah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And then if we were to continue, I'm not going to read everything there, you'll see there's some other gates. For example, in 13, you see there's the valley gate that they repaired and they worked on. You'll see, make note of this, in 14, the dung gate was repaired by Malachijah. So you can see that there were a number of people that started this good work last week. If you go to chapter 2, you can see the verse. It says, and so they began this good work. Now, here's what Churchill once said about Hitler. We will have no truce or parley with you. Or the grisly gang who work your wicked will, 
You do your worst, and we will do our best. And, of course, Hitler was a wicked ruler, dictator, and Churchill, if you, if you know your history, was trying to do what's right. And he's saying, you do your worst, we're going to do our best, and we're going to trust the end of the process. Now, as we look at who that is, we're going to see some people that rise up and do their best, like I just read. Now, we're going to see the other group a little bit later. And then we're going to see that there are some naysayers. We've been introduced to them a few times. Sandy, Geshe, Toby, for short. And we're going to know that any time we're involved in doing something right, as a parent, as a person in business, you're the leader of your business maybe. Maybe you're a teacher or a coach. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you're the chairman of deacons. Perhaps you're a pastor or a minister. There are going to be those along the way as we are seeking to do the best we can, what is right, that will be naysayers. And so who dad primarily are good folks, godly folks, trying to do what's right and following their leadership and the fact that God has put it on their heart. But there are some that we'll be introduced to that weren't that way. So first of all, if you're taking notes, back of your worship God. Let's look at those that were supporting the vision. Who are those that? that? First of all, they were the dedicated. They were dedicated to who? They were dedicated to God. They were dedicated to follow God's person who they felt like was Nehemiah. And they repaired ten gates. In other words, those that are dedicated are willing to get their hands dirty. Now, they fall into place as far as their spiritual gifts and their abilities and their heart and the burden that, you know, God has shaped us all differently. We studied that several weeks ago. We all have a different shape for God, but they're dedicated. They're going to do their best, and this is what we find out from this group. In repairing the ten gates, one gate was the sheep gate. I read about it. That's where the sheep were brought through to be sacrificed in the temple for sin. If you know your Old Testament, then you know that the priest would have the, the lamb, the sheep, and they would sacrifice that on, the, on, the, on behalf of those that had sinned, and we all sinned. Oh, but no longer, for the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no need to go through the temple, but there is a need to put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. For Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So it's a typology. It's a shadow in the Old Testament of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But there were some that helped with the sheep gate for the sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament. And then here's another one, the dung gate. I don't think I have to explain to you that that was a place of waste. Didn't smell good. Wouldn't be a place where you'd really want to have your hands. I don't know if they had gloves back in those days. They probably had shovels or something that they did. But it was the dung gate, the gate where the waste of the city was taken. Imagine the difficulty of repairing this 
gate. And yet, as a child of God, as a leader of God, sometimes we have to deal with situations or circumstances or people, and it's not always fun or enjoyable. We have to be dedicated. We have to get our hands dirty. We have to realize there, there may be some wounds after, but we try to do our best even when it's difficult. And when it stinks up the place, you know, I've learned over the years as a Christian, there are some seasons in life or days that just, quite frankly, stink. And I don't know if you ever have any of those days, but they do. They're just not fun. They're just not enjoyable. But if you think about what Jesus went through, and he was perfect, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you try to do what's right, if I do what's right, there will be those days that stinketh. And so we hang in there. We're willing to get our hands dirty, and we do what's right. Why? Because we're dedicated, and we love God more than anything, and because hopefully we sense and believe that's what God has called us to do and be a part of. We're dedicated. These folks were dedicated. Secondly, they were available. Available. Last week we were told in chapter 2, they responded to this good work. Chapter 4, verse 6 says that their heart was in it. They did it for 52 days. Now let me tell you something. If you wake up and you go to work every day and your heart's not in it, it's not going to be a lot of fun. There's probably not going to be a lot of joy. Because it may be, for whatever reason, you're missing God's call and mission and purpose in your life. If you enjoy what you do, someone has said you don't work a day in your life. In other words, it, with every job and every situation, there are going to be those days and perhaps those weeks or seasons. But my experience has been, when we are following God's call according to his shape and doing our best at where he has placed us, there's going to be a tremendous peace and joy in doing that. And we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's not about money. It's not about prestige. It's because your heart is in it or my heart is in it. I have often seen some ball players after high school enjoy playing ball and then they go to college. It's a whole different ball game in college. And some of them don't make it. It might be because they have tremendous abilities. They can throw the ball. They can hit the ball. They can catch the ball. But it may be a heart problem because their heart is no longer in it. Perhaps you can identify that with your job or your career. If you are doing something and there's a pattern, days, weeks, may turn into years, and you just can't stand what you're doing Call time out and reevaluate what God has called you to do and to be realistically because time is short. And they were available. Who were they in these 52 days that the wall was rebuilt? They were ministers. They were rulers. They were nobles. They were tradesmen. They were ladies. They were sons and others. They positioned themselves to where they lived and where they hung out to take ownership. They prepared per their giftedness and where they were in that season of life. Who that? Dedicated, available, and teachable. Those that were supporting, they were teachable. They gave heed to Nehemiah's instruction. 
Warren Wiersbe once said, no one can do everything, but every person can do something. In other words, somebody has said, everybody's good at something. And so in the, in the, in the, in the, in the work of God, in the church of God, everybody is a member and should do something to support the work of ministry. And that's what they were doing. In Proverbs 28, we find these words. If you think you know it all, you're a fool for sure. Real survivors learn wisdom from others. And so they were teachable. I saw nobody in reading the text all the way through chapter 3 that had a cocky attitude. There's a big difference between cockiness and confidence. Don't forget that. Cockiness, realistically, it's all about a person. Oh, I got this. I got this, bring it on. I've been through this before. Bring it on. I got this. I got this. Let me tell you something. God has a way of humbling us. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, I need all the grace I can get to be the husband, the dad, the granddad, the minister, the friend that I'm supposed to be. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And you know it may be that some of you have been walking through a tough time. And it may be. I don't know. Talk to God as a child of God. That he's walking through a difficult season to humble you. Maybe in an area. Maybe in all of life. Maybe you've never been through it before. But it may be that God providentially has provided this season so you will trust, trust Trust and trust. You keep on, no matter how bad it gets. I love to see someone who's not cocky, but they're confident in who they are in Christ. Big difference. And that's what we want to do. We want to be confident, not because we can do it, but because Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want to read this. The faithful few in every church, in every climb, when there's some work to do, it's very likely to be done by just the faithful few. Many folks will help to sing. Some are glad to talk. And when it comes to doing things, a lot of them will balk. I can't do this. I can't do that. Excuse me, please, this time. I'll be so glad to help you out, but it's not in my line. So when the leader looks about for some who will help to do, he nearly always has to go and ask the faithful few. He knows full well they're busy too and always hard at work, yet he is sure they'll not refuse nor any duty shirk. They never stop to make excuse but always try to do the very, very best they can to smooth the way for you. God bless, I pray, the poet says, the faithful few. And may their tribe increase. They must be very precious to the blessed Prince of Peace. We want those that are dedicated. We want those that are available. Nobody can do everything, but you could do something. And we want those that are teachable, that are willing to learn and willing to help for kingdom's sake in the home, in the workplace, in the church. And so we want the faithful few, and we want people that are new, that say, this is a new season for me.
This is a new church for me. This is a new life for me. Forsaking what is behind, God is forgiving me. I am, like the apostle said, Apostle Paul said, pressing on to the finish line. Now, we have to pause and look at those that oppose the vision. They surfaced in chapter 2. They surfaced in chapter 4. And then in verse 6. So if you have your Bible, flip over to chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Let me read the first eight or nine verses. Because here we see those that were opposing. Not the majority, but there were some. Now had Nehemiah and the leaders given them too much line, too much rope, there could have been a lot more perhaps that had, could have joined in on their opposition. When word, they surface again, came to send ballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, Nehemiah talking here, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gate. Send ballot, and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews were plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. And then this is what he says in verse 8. I love this. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were trying to frighten us. In other words, now this is my paraphrase. In other words, it's kind of like saying, you mean you want me to go meet in the plain of oh no. Oh no. I ain't going. There are people dying and going to hell out there. I tried to help you early on to see what was going on. And you have clearly shown me that you are a naysayer. Not just one day, not just two days, not just three days, but every day. I ain't doing it. That's what he did. That's the kind of leader we need to be. Confident in God. Gracious and kind as we can. But firm. When we see someone is being used by the enemy to pause or deflect or destroy God's vision for our family, for our church family, for our workplace, or for our friends. We have to stick with the stuff. We have to understand that we answer ultimately to God, and that's what Nehemiah was doing. So Hudat and the opposing group, they were distractors. 
We saw that in the text. And Balak knew that he would lose influence, power, and money if Nehemiah were successful. He felt if he could get him to meet, then he might be able to catch him off guard and catch some others off guard. That's why he didn't go. He kept his hands to the plow. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-five says, A greedy man stirs up dissension. Distractors, A, accusers. We saw this in verses 6 and 8 of the chapter we just read. He accused him of two things. A revolt. Word has come to me that you're leading a revolt. Now, I don't know if he talked like that, but it just seems to be the spirit of the term, the terminology, the scripture. And he said, a desire to be the king. Like, word has come to me that you desire to be the king. We have a king. We don't need another king. Just mess, just stuff, false accusations, being critical and saying stuff that is not true, accusers. I read a story about a pastor who was accused of pulling his wife out of a, a meeting. She was in a meeting with some other ladies, and he sto- the word was that he stormed over there and jerked her out of the meeting and took her out. And so there were some rumors going around that he was so unkind and disrupted this meeting, good meeting, godly meeting, godly ladies. And so he decided to take an ad ad out in the local paper, which read like this. In the first place, I never attempted to influence my wife as to her choice of a meeting. In the second place, my wife didn't attend the meeting in question. In the third place, I did not attend the meeting. In the fourth place, neither my wife nor myself had any inclination to attend the meeting at hand. In the fifth place, I do not now have or have never had a wife. Sometimes there's stuff out there that is bizarre and nuts and crazy. They were distractors. They were those that were false accusers. And then the T and the dat of the negative group, which weren't the majority, they were tricksters. We see this clearly in chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. Here's what to remember when tricksters try to trick you away or distract you from keeping your hands to the plow and doing God's will and God's vision. Proverbs 28, 18. Walk straight, live well, and be saved. A devious life is a doomed life. Act justly, walk humbly with your God, and do what's right is another way of putting it in the Old Testament. God will take care of it. It may not be on our timetable, It may not be on our watch. It may not be like the way we'd like to see it happen. But he will take care of it when it is a distraction, a genuine one, to a big picture of God's plan. I want to share the story about a a judge in a small town that was constantly criticized for the way he gave verdicts, you can imagine in a certain town he was constantly criticized. And so one night he was in a local restaurant and someone stopped him 
and said, why don't you respond to your critics, judge? I mean, you never, you don't take an ad out of the paper. You, don't, you, just, you just don't respond. And the judge who was eating at the diner, enjoying his dinner, he put his fork down. He said, you know, when I was growing up, I had a neighbor that had an old dog, an old hound dog. And every time there was a full moon and the moon was shining, that old hound dog would go out there and bark and bark and bark. And he just looked at the people, picked up his fork, kept eating. The person said, well, wait a minute. So, Judge, what, what happened with the dog and the moon? He said, the moon just kept on shining. The moon just kept on shining. Who that? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. There are going to be some that could try to distract us from fulfilling our purpose and our lot in life according to God's will. What do we want to do? We want to be to that that shines no matter what and have the aroma of Christ. God, help us to be a part of helping the kingdom of God and not hurting it. Help us to be a part of your plan and not our own. Forgive us, God, when we try to take over the reins of our life. Forgive us, God, when we resist difficult times that sometimes can be so hard and so difficult to understand. But, God, we thank you for the the way you are gracious and you are patient, and you help us stay on track or get back on track. Thank you, Lord, that your word says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We can trust distractors or those that are being used by the enemy to your timetable. Thank you, God, for the example of Nehemiah. Help us to continue to remember in the remaining weeks of this study that it's for now. There are things that we can apply to our life now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning. This is our East Haven invitation to respond. We're going to sing. Some will pray. Some may go to the altar and pray by themselves or with a family member or a friend. And some may say, I I believe it's God's will that I be a part of the team. Now, only God needs to direct you in that and take a step toward being a member of this great church, East Haven Baptist Church, and its future. Or it may be there's some other decision that's needed to be made. Following through in full-time service, may you've been resisting and resisting and resisting, turning over an area in your life that you've been holding on, you need to let it go. Or maybe you need to come and talk to one of our counselors that will not embarrass you intentionally. They'll just talk to you and listen and try to help you. There may be some other decision you, you need to make. As Robert mentioned earlier, the greatest decision we ever make is putting our faith and trust in Jesus alone. That's the only gate, John 14, 6. And it may be that today is the day of your salvation. It's you come 
You surrender your life to Christ. And if you don't quite know what all that means, you come and talk to somebody and they'll lovingly walk you through it. This is God's invitation. May his will be done.